the Word of God, and we open the Word of God to Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. We're thankful for the reality that our souls are anchored in Christ, uh, anchored in the Lord. That is the testimony of every child of God, and that is uh, the overriding reality in our life. No matter what comes, uh, we're anchored in Him. Troubles will come, difficulties inevitable, but if you're a Christian, your soul is anchored in the Lord. There's stability there, there's steadiness there, and we belong to Him, and we're grateful for that uh, privilege and that true. Those truths resonate with every believer. Luke chapter twenty. Beginning at verse 41, let me read these verses in your hearing. Then he said to them, How is it that they say the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore David calls him Lord. And how is he his son? The subject for this message from these verses is this, the Christ, David's son and Lord. It is of supreme importance for a person's eternal well-being to have faith in the right Jesus. This is so because there are humanly invented Jesuses. Those man-made Jesuses have no power to save from sin's penalty and power. They're feckless to deliver eternal life and a home in heaven. To believe in a Jesus invented by religions and cults is to trust in a Jesus that ultimately damns. A newspaper headline recently said, quote, counterfeit prescriptions, prescription pills are killing Americans. Counterfeit Jesuses are killing souls. The Apostle Paul warned the Corinthians about a false Jesus being propagated by false teachers whom he labeled in 2 Corinthians 11 4 that Jesus as another Jesus. John the Apostle also elaborated about those whose teaching supplanted the true Christ with a fake one. He writes, They deny that Jesus has come in the flesh. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. 1 John 4, verses 2 and 3. Those teachers denied that Jesus is God incarnate. That God has come in the flesh in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Such denial is a spiritual red flag, and it is raised also in regard to modern religions and cults. The Nation of Islam, for example, which is really a fusion of Islam and Christianity, views the deity of Christ as fiction. Orthodox Islam, too, rejects the truth of the deity of Christ. In this list of deniers of the truth about Christ, we add the Mormons. They espouse the ridiculous notion that Jesus is the older brother of Lucifer and is one of the millions of created spirits born in heaven. Jehovah's Witnesses, they chime in as well. 
their corruption regarding Christ. And they say that Jesus was Michael the archangel before birth and lived on earth as a perfect man and was resurrected a spirit being after his death. They are wrong. They're wrong on more than one count. That statement I just read you about them, they deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's an error. They view him as a creature. The archangel of, related to archangel, he is archangel Michael. An error. They see him only as a perfect man. Indeed, was a perfect man, but he was more than that. They denied his true nature as the God-man. These religions and cults have a death, eternal death-dealing counterfeit Christ. No one articulates the spiritual deadliness of a false Jesus better than the true Jesus. In John 8, verse 24, our Lord was unambiguous he was crystal clear when he said these words therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he you will die in your sins end of our Lord's quote Jesus in that verse asserts his deity with the words I am The English translation says, I am he, but the pronoun he is not in the Greek. It is added by the translators, and it's just simply Jesus said, I am. And saying about himself that he is, I am, Jesus applied the divine name to himself. He took the tetragrammaton from Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, and said, I am. The divine name. He's identifying himself as God. To those who heard him say that I am, if they reject it, they will die in their sins. One cannot be forgiven sin's eternal penalty if one does not have faith in the right Jesus. Without the right Jesus, a person cannot be saved. To die in one's sins is to go into eternity, owing a spiritual debt to God that one can only pay by spending eternity paying it. And it is never paid off. Unless, our Lord said, one repents and believes in the Jesus of the Bible. He believes in him if he repents and trusts him. Then one can die forgiven rather than unforgiven. So you see, the stakes are high. The stakes are are of eternal consequence. It, It matters who Jesus is. It matters if you have the right Jesus. That's why it's important when people say, I believe in Jesus. Tell me, who is this Jesus you believe in? There are a lot of Jesuses out and about, and I could go through a list of other things that people represent Jesus being, and he is not. Stakes are eternal. Interestingly, Jesus, as you know, he was dressing the Jews of his own day. And they have historically rejected the deity of Christ. Even at this very hour, they reject him as being God in human flesh. In fact, some of the things that Jews say even currently are blasphemous about Jesus. 
They even used the Hebrew name for Jesus and they shortened it uh, to make it um, a term that is derogatory. So when Jesus in his day was speaking to them, they expected a mere human Christ, a mere human Messiah, a warrior king who would deliver their nation from its enemies. But Jesus shows that they were profoundly wrong in believing the Messiah was simply a mere man. Yes, he was a Davidic descendant. Yes, he was a man, um, but he is more than a man. To demonstrate the, the true nature of Messiah, Jesus raises this discerning question. You see it there in verse 41. How is it that they say the Christ is David's son? The they there refer to the scribes and the Pharisees who promulgated this, this reality about the Messiah. Indeed, he is David's son. Because after all, there's the, the, the David's descendant is going to sit on the throne of Israel, have an eternal throne, you'd have an eternal kingdom. It's part of the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel 7, verses 13 and 14. So that's true. But their understanding of Messiah's identity is inadequate. They're only half right. They were close, but not on target. And close, you know, counts. In horseshoes and hand grenades. <laughs> you can get the job done in horseshoes and hand grenades. But when it comes to who Christ is, you can't just be close. You got to have it right. Because we already heard Jesus' words. One's eternal destiny hinges on having the right Jesus. So they're inadequate. David himself shows the inadequacy of the thinking of the scribes and Pharisees in our Lord's day. Yes, he's David's son, but that's not the complete picture. So what we have here, a discerning question from our Lord, we also have a declaration of Scripture. In raising the question, Jesus then turns them to the Word of God. The Word of God is where we get the definitive answer. You want to know what the truth is, you go to Scripture. And our Lord did just that. To discover from divine revelation the truth about the Christ, or the Messiah. You see here, verse 42, for David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord. Let's just talk about this for a moment. David is the human author of Psalm 110. How do we know that? Because Jesus said so. But the words are also God's words. God is the ultimate author of this text. He is as he is of all scripture. David did not originate the words that are quoted by Christ and are found in the psalm, psalmist, the Psalm 110. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says this, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. No prophecy, no word of God. It was ever made by the act of human will. Men didn't determine this is what the will and the word of God is. 
supernatural involvement. The Holy Spirit moved them and then they spoke. And they put their words down and we have them. It's initiated, originated from God himself. David. David himself testified to the fact of divine inspiration. He says in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. End of quote. Hmm. So, what we have here in these verses that Jesus quotes to the hearers is God's own commentary on the true nature and identity of the Christ or the Messiah. By the way, Christ is not Jesus' surname. It's not Jesus Christ as Terry Wilson. Wilson's my surname. It's Jesus the Christ. Christ is a title. And Christ is the English translation of the Greek which comes from the Hebrew which means the anointed it's titled Jesus the anointed the Christ the Messiah and he says here the Lord said to my Lord these words are a record of inter-trinitarian communication the first person of the Trinity is speaking to the second person of the Trinity in those very words. We're privy to that. Only reason we're privy to that is simply because it's been revealed to us in the Word of God. Messiah, the Christ, his person, is told us here when it says the Lord calls him Lord. Abner Chow writes, quote, Throughout the Psalms, David exclusively uses the address my to either speak of his enemies or God himself, close quote. It is clear that David, by divine inspiration, is talking about God when he says, my Lord. That's how he uses, that's what child tells us. How is this the case? Jesus asked in verse 41, Christ is David's son. How is he David's son? Here he calls Christ Lord. Messiah is Lord. David continues to show the divine nature of Messiah and that he's not a mere man because of his position. We see his person in the first part of the verse, the Lord said to my Lord. Now we see his position, sit at my right hand. Let's stop there. In the religious and cultural setting of Jesus' day, to sit at the right hand of God was tantamount to claiming equality with God. We need to get this. We need to understand this. That's what it means, equality with God. Sit at his right hand. It's a figurative expression, but that's what it is saying. In a literal, functional way, he is God. Sitting at the right hand. Bobby was with his grandmother on a cold day, and they went out and um, looked at the snow that had fallen. It was really a beautiful scene, and, um, and Bobby's grandmother said to him, uh, God painted this just for you. And Bobby said, little boy, uh, he must have done it left-handed. And Bobby's grandmother said, well, why do you say he did it left-handed? He said, well, in Sunday school, we learned that Jesus sat on his right hand. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you know, sometimes even grown people don't quite get it. He's not literally at his right hand as if God has a hand, as anthropomorphic expression, as we know. Simply equality with God. His position of power and authority. This means that he exercised the prerogatives or rights of God. No mere human being can do that. No mere human being can sit at my right hand. The father would not say to a mere man, you sit at my right hand. Exercise authority and power. Have honor. No, 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 not at all. That's why as Jesus quotes this psalm, and what this signifies is why he can ask the question in verse 4 to 1, the Christ is David's son, merely a human descendant. How can that be when he is called Lord? How can that be when the Father says, sit at my right hand? Verse 43, how long? Till you prevail. Till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This too is a figurative expression for conquest. And we encounter it in a literal action of this in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 10, verses 24 through 26. As they were conquering the promised land under General Joshua, you recall, they conquered they were conquering people, conquering the nations that inhabited Canaan. So an instance of five kings that had been captured. And Joshua said, bring these five captured kings out conquered kings and Joshua said to his military chiefs of war put your feet on their necks Uh, what that was signifying was their utter defeat utter conquest and that's what the Lord was going to do for the rest of Israel's enemies during the conquest of the promised land. And here in our text, the word is footstool. This symbolism is of an enemy lying in the dust so that the conqueror's feet can be placed on his neck. This verse, verse 43, is a prophecy and a promise. God the Father is promising God the Son, the Messiah, the Christ, that all of your enemies will become your footstool. They will lie, as it were, in the dust, and your foot, so to speak, will be on their neck. Total control. Conquest. Mere human being do that? Christ. Messiah, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 25, and 26, will reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. That's coming. Christ is going to do that. So, now, with the Holy Spirit's testimony about Messiah, 
we find that here in the psalm that our Lord quotes. Jesus asks a second question. It's found in verse 44. Therefore, David calls him Lord. And how is he his son? Answer that. That's what he's saying to them. They're running around. Oh, yes, he's son of David. Jesus, the master theologian. The master teacher. He brings out the scripture and then says, now answer this. In what sense is he his son? We can answer it. We know. He is David's Lord and son. He is both God and man. It's who Messiah is. He is God. He is eternal, therefore. He is immutable. He is the creator. Everything that the Bible says about God in terms of his attributes that make him God, Jesus, Messiah, is. But he became a man by means of the miracle of the incarnation. The virgin conception in the womb of Mary when the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. In a mind-boggling miracle that we'll never be able to comprehend, God reduced himself to a human being, yet remained God. The eternal entered time. He became dependent baby, yet he was still upholding the universe because he's God. You say, how can that be? Ask me about 150 million years. We're in heaven. And I'll tell you, I still don't know. It's beyond us. It's who the Messiah is. In the book of Isaiah, the 11th chapter, if you'd like to turn there, I want to show you something. I want to connect a few texts. Isaiah chapter 11. Verse 1. This is a text about Messiah. It's about his reign. He's the branch. We won't stay here long, but let me point out a couple of things to you. Isaiah 11.1. 1. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. Stop there for a moment. Let me explain. There's imagery of a tree. Uh, this shoot in this image come from Jesse. Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. You recall that. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. This is a, a prophecy about Messiah. He comes from Jesse, the father of David. So he's in the, that line, that lineage. But there's more. Chapter 11, verse 10. Then in that day, the nations will resort to the 
root of Jesse. Did you see that? <laughs> the root of Jesse? He springs from him, but then he's also called the root. Let me put it to you like this. Messiah, a Christ, is the root cause of his own family tree. You get it? He's the root of Jesse. There'd be no Jesse if there were no Messiah who caused it to be. He comes from it, but he also started it. So he is. You say, well, that's just your interpretation of this image. How do you know that's really true? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Go with me to Revelation 22. Let me show you something. Let Jesus tell us. If you don't believe Isaiah, and you should because what Isaiah wrote is the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, so it's true, but this will help you further. Revelation 22. Jesus speaks. Conclusion of the apocalypse. Before his second coming. Isaiah is before his first coming. This is before his second coming. Our Lord says this. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you to these things for the churches. Now notice what he says. I am the root and the descendant of David. Stop at the comma. Here, our Lord Jesus, who is speaking in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, 16, is speaking explicitly telling us that he is the source of David's life and his line of descent. Two things are established here. When he says, I am the root, he establishes his deity. Because you have to be God to do that. But he also is a descendant of David. God establishes his humanity. He came from David. He is Messiah according to the flesh. Remember that? Romans chapter 9. So, you see Messiah, he's David's Lord and his son. He preceded David. He lived before David. He lived before Jesse. He lived before Obed. He lived before Boaz. He lived before Ruth. He lived before all of his ancestors. Because he is the creator. He is God. I read you earlier from Acts chapter 2. Peter's words of Pentecost. Let's go back there. I want you to see continued testimony of the word of God. Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, Peter delivered a message about the Christ, the Messiah. In this message, the Apostle Peter demonstrates that Psalm 110, and in particular verse 1, is about Jesus of Nazareth. The Jesus who was crucified, died, was buried, and raised, and ascended back to heaven. 
And Jesus is told this by, uh, the crowd is told this about Jesus by Peter. We see it in Acts chapter 2, verse 34. For it was not David who ascended into heaven. (laughs) David couldn't be at the right hand of Christ ascended into heaven and Peter saw him. Acts chapter 1. But David himself said, here's the psalm again. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Peter applies it to Jesus Christ. Look what he does, verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Then he indicts them. This Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Messiah is divine. Messiah is the God-man. If you're a Christian, genuine Christian, you believe this about him. I was thinking last night how I came to understand this. I remember as a teenager somehow along those, I knew this, and I don't really know how I came to understand this. Somehow in reading and teaching or whatever, or being taught, I, I came to understand Jesus is God. And if you have him as your Lord and Savior, you know he's God. Shall I, shall I quote that theologian who's now dead? His name is Ray Charles. He's talked about Coke. He said, you got the right one, baby. We have the right one. We who know Jesus Christ. By divine grace, we have the right Jesus. We know that he is the Messiah. And this Jesus is capable of bringing us home to heaven where we will gaze upon his glory with perfected vision and we will bow down and praise him forevermore. Praise him for his grace that he opened our eyes, showed us who he is, And we belong to him forever and ever. That's something to praise his name for. Amen. Let us bow together in prayer.
Our God and our Father, we're thankful to you for your mercy. We thank you for the truth of who Christ is. Thank you for divine revelation of his person. Lord, we could have been, like so many others, blinded to that reality. Living with a false Jesus, thinking we're right with you and in the wrong. But you, in your grace, delivered us from our sin. We see who Jesus is clearly. Thank you for that grace. Lord, help us to revel in it and praise you for it. Giving you thanks for what you've done for us. Didn't deserve it. Couldn't have earned it. But you're a God of grace. Help us to proclaim the right Jesus to many, many, many people. They too, by your power, will come to know him as the one who is God in the flesh, who died for sinners, was raised from the dead and lives forevermore, and is now at your right hand, seated there in power, glory, and honor, but who will one day return. Help us proclaim him without fear, without favor, she might be glorified. And may these truths that we've talked about briefly this morning find deeper and deeper and deeper resonance in our hearts, deeper confirmation by the work of the Spirit in us, that we'll have no, no doubt about the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray, amen. If you're not a Christian, you're hearing me.